Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I write an automotive column for Bay Area News Group. I publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. And with my friend and colleague, Bruce Aldrich, we co-broadcast, co-host the Weekly Driver Podcast, now approaching our fourth year next month, uh, almost 200 episodes. And every once in a while, we have the pleasure of speaking to someone uh, in another country. Uh, most, uh, most often it's been authors who have written great books or uh, something along those lines. And today we have that occasion with uh, Giles Chapman. Uh, Giles, welcome to our program. We're going to talk to you about your new book. So thank you for being available. Thanks, James. I love your work. And um, it's, uh, it's an honor to be able to talk to you about it. Thank you. Could you tell us, uh, introduce your book to us, the latest of the, the dozens of books you've written? And... Uh, <laughs> This, this book at this time, if you will, what's the... Yeah. Go right ahead. Well, sure. I mean, I, um, I've written a book about 100 years of Jaguar. Uh, and um, the, the, the task was to really cover the entire century from the very beginning of the company to now. And that, that takes you from a, a period actually way before they even made a car the first thing they did in 1922 was to produce a, a sidecar to go on the side of a motorbike. And um, uh, the entrepreneur was a, an amazing guy called William Lyons. And what period, he was not only building some of the most handsome cars in the world, but also cars that won the Le Mans 24-hour race and so on. And then that um, the story takes us through all the kind of glory years of things like the XKE and the XJ6. Um, and then Jaguar's rocky period. And then we even, you know, we come right up to date with the, uh, you know, pure electric I-Pace that they're doing now. So as you can imagine, we're, we're going from a story really in the 1920s, even, you know, when even telephones were new. <laughs> yes. Right the way through to now. And um, uh, I... I, I accepted the commission to do it because I thought there was a, a, a fantastic, you know, story to tell there, not just of the cars but also of the people. Um, and um, I wanted to do something that uh, didn't just uh, talk about Jaguar in the context of, if you like, the, the golden era of the 1950s and 60s. I mean, all those cars, the XK120, the E-Type or XKE, the Mark II, they are all fantastic. But Jaguar has continued another 50 years since then. So it was a, uh, what I really have enjoyed is stitching this whole thing together in a way that I hope somebody who drives a Jaguar now and doesn't know a tremendous amount about the history would be able to make sense of it. Uh, that that was that was the that was the overall thing behind it. Yes, uh, it was very interesting. the The whole history I'd never heard it before. Like you say, Mr. Lyons and his sidecars, and then he got into cars that looked more expensive than they actually were. They were nice, two seat, sort of. What, yeah. you, what, what would you call them? Not a racing car, but a really nice-looking sports car-type vehicle that cost yeah. way less than it looked. That's right. I mean, he was, a, he was a man who started with nothing. His father ran a piano-making shop in Blackpool. He was just a guy who, who ducked out of an apprenticeship with an engineering company because he, he couldn't really deal with it. Um, he was kicking his heels 
And um, he teamed up with a neighbor to make these very stylish sidecars for motorbikes. But when they started doing that, they, they realized immediately that, the, that that kind of business was coming to an end because mass car ownership was spreading throughout the UK and other parts of the world as well. And so, you know, they very quickly moved on to taking a very humble little car here and giving it an amazing-looking, uh, you know, bodyworks, beautiful wheel discs, nice leather upholstery, a walnut dashboard. Um, and so they, they, they created their cars out of nothing. It was amazing. And it wasn't until they, they got to the 1930s that, as you rightly say, they, they got enough confidence then to really start to build their own vehicles. Uh, Giles, if if you don't mind me going back just a little bit, I, I've asked this question of other authors, and and um, I want to talk about the automobile, but I also want to talk about the process of of writing a book when you're encompassing a hundred years of uh, of a person or a car or whatever it might be. Yes. What is the has it has that process changed for you with as an author of so many books? Do you do the three by five cards on the wall? Do you? I uh, do you have sleepless <laughs> nights. What what is the process there to condense all this stuff down to what one kind of book? Typewriter do you have? What kind of typewriter? Yeah, how how was well, that you process? Know, James, you know, I mean, you're you're a, a journalist, yes. and a writer yourself. You, yes. you know about the importance of being concise, and yes. you probably know that if you if you haven't been doing it for years, and maybe you started in newspapers and magazines when you were a young kid in your twenties and very able to absorb a whole lot of um, disciplines. Oh, that's a long um, time ago. But, yes. Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and for me too. But, I mean, I, I really I started in 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 classic car magazines yes. where where you know everything has to fit on a page. An article is going to be um, at, let's say four or six pages long. If you have too many words, the pictures are going to be like postage stamps. Yes, that kind of thing. You know, all that magazine craft that we that we know about, and. Um, I think because I did that, I, I don't find it too grueling to sit down and think, you know, oh, oh, my goodness, where am I going to start with this? I mean, I'm given a word count. I know how many pages there are. And in this case, they, they asked me to do 60,000 words. And that sounds like a lot of words. But there's so much to write about Jaguar that it was really a case of saying, OK, well, I, I cut that. I cut that wordage into my 20 chapters yes and I, I try and sort of break it down so that i i can make sense of it and if i can make sense of this very complicated story then i think i can relay it in those chunks so, i mean you know I, I wish i could i wish i could say there was more wizardry involved than that but but i i think with this particular story um uh, if you'll permit me i sure. I, I kind of I kind of knew that when I came to do the chapter covering the XKE, you know, a beautiful car, everyone loves those and very, very glamorous, that I wasn't really going to be able to, um, within the, the wordage I have, I, I was going to give a fairly straightforward telling, retelling of that story. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't going to write the ultimate book just on the XKE because there wasn't the space. Yes. And anyway, I don't want to get too bogged down in that because, you know, there's so much in this story of Jaguar that one aspect, then, yes. you know, you're, you're being tapped on the shoulder to say, come on, you've got to move on to the next bit. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that, that, thanks for sharing. Um, I know with um, sometimes people who uh, have explained that sometimes people, they say, well, if you really know what you're doing, you don't need an editor. And uh, I'm sure that 
whether you're a person of your uh, esteem or a new journalist, they, you do need editors and you do need people to kind of guide you and say, hey, you've got 60,000 words. <laughs> Make sure you do it the right way. And then they have the, the line editing yeah. and, the, and the fine-tooth comb process and all these things. And I just find it fascinating yes. uh, how that all works. And Well, you know, I mean, one of the things, uh, anyone who's, who's written anything, is you, you can't really, there's no shortcuts. At no. a certain point, you've got to go into your office, draw the blind, sit down and start writing. And, of course, that is the, that's the most glib thing to be able to say to anybody. Yes. Um, but actually making a start on, it, on, on the chapter that you're meaning to do that week um, is nothing more complicated than trying to get your first paragraph. You know, whether you have to use caffeine to make that process work <laughs> or you, you know, you pace around in your, you know, with your shirt off, uh, kind of running your hands through your hair in desperation. Yes. You, know, you, you need to sort of, um, you know, it's a big apple and you need to sort of bite, take your first bite from it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Bruce, go ahead. Um, That's interesting. Giles, do you have, uh, like, should we, would we say factory authorized, uh, is this a, a book that they, uh, you know, gave you material for? And do you have a researcher? Where do you gather your information from? Oh, well, I mean, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I, 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 in a way, I wouldn't consider that because I've been, I've been working in and around uh, the car media since uh, the early 1980s. I've worked on newspapers and magazines. I must have written... 50 articles on various aspects of Jaguar in the past. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, um, you know, in my, in my car magazine days, we knew that if we put a Jaguar on the cover, we were going to sell a lot of copies. So it's a, it's a thing I already knew the sort of bare bones of. I don't have a researcher. And uh, also, I don't have the backing of the factory to do this book, nor are they telling me not to do it. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an independent book, but the... the tricky area there it's funny you should actually alight on this and that is that that jaguar themselves they don't consider this to be their hundredth year because they only started using the jaguar brand name in 1935 so for them you know they're, they're 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 still uh kind of i don't know what it is 16 years away from yes. <laughs> the, the official okay. centenary yes <laughs> but 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 to me, this very much is 100 years of Jaguar, because if you don't get in under the skin of the guys who started it, and, um, you know, they, they made these cars out of bits and pieces and a bit of craftsmanship and an engine from here and a chassis from somewhere else and so on, you, you, don't, you don't start to build this... Um, in my in my view, this, this lovely story of this ambition that these people had um, to build a world-class... Uh, luxury, you know, sports car brand. They they weren't really um, engineers of the of the caliber of, let's say, Ferdinand Porsche. And you know, they weren't a big corporation like General Motors that could just suddenly say, "Hey, let's do the Corvette." You know, they 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 were they were starting from brass tacks. So, to me, the story really does build from the very from the very beginning in that way. And I I know that some. Um, I know that Jaguar are probably not going to um uh they're not going to endorse this book. It's fine, I don't I don't mind. Um but they have actually been uh in various ways very helpful. I mean the com- the company is still quite important here in the UK to our um automotive industry. And they've got a you know they have a museum, they have an archivist. If if you need to know something or you need to find a specific picture, they're always extremely helpful. 
And um, uh, so, so, you know, that gives a, that gives a bit of an idea of, of that aspect. One thing I, one thing when, when I was asked to do the book was my, my heart sank a little bit because there's already been hundreds of Jaguar books. Mm, and I'm, yes. I'm in my office here. I can see about 15. <laughs> on the okay, shelf. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, you know, I, I did think, well, this is going to be interesting to do, but how do you, you know, how does, how is it going to differ? How is it going to be, um, well, you know, flatter myself better, but you know, how am I going to do a, a something that will sit alongside these rather than just being, um, uh, and also ran. Yes. And so, so that, how is yours? Yeah, so, how is yours unique, or how does it stand out, or where were the other ones lacking? Well, I think it's really in in that I cover all the the last um, thirty, forty years in in a, a great deal of detail, because Jaguar has been through um, you know some turbulent times. It was owned by Ford for quite a, a long period. Um, it almost went bankrupt a couple of times before that. It's been involved in British Leyland here, and then it's now owned by a big Indian uh, company. So they've had lots of changes of strategy and um, new new types of thinking. You know, they've done compact Jaguars where they never did them before. Now they're now they're making SUVs, yes. uh, which sit very strangely with those beautiful low-lined, flowing sports cars of the 1950s. You know, it's just, they don't connect that well. Um, they're going, so that's good. <laughs> yes. Sure. You know, you, you mentioned you mentioned the bankruptcies and things like that, and, and, and Jaguar is not the only company that's gone through that, but it, it triggered a thought that, oh, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, uh, I was fortunate enough to go to a Rolls-Royce uh, gathering in Arizona, and there was a very distinguished guy oh, right. there. And he was speaking about yep. um, the ebbs and flows of, of Rolls-Royce. And he made this statement. And the way he told the story was it, the imagery was perfect. He said at, at some point you could you could walk down a, a street in England and, and there would be Rolls-Royces just sitting there and pe- with hopes that somebody would just take them away. You know, they, <laughs> they weren't the prestigious car that we all know about. And I'm wondering in, in, your, in yeah. your background, is that the same with Jaguar that People said, oh, I've got one in the garage. If you want it, um, you know, it's yours for, for um, you know, beer yeah. and pretzels money, whatever it might have been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you know, that really is the case because I think, I think with all these, um, with all these uh, relatively expensive luxury vehicles or luxury purchases over the years, uh, once they've been through a couple of owners, they're then sort of in the wrong hands because the warranty's worn out. They're very expensive to service. You know, tires are four hundred dollars a go. <laughs> yes. You know, once that once that car is away from the wealthy environment where the marketing people want it to be, you know, to be placed, and, it, and it's it's passed down the line. It's done thirty thousand miles. Um, uh, you know, it's it's going to enter the uh, the, the sort of twilight zone. Where who wants it? Uh, if that makes sense, you know. I mean, yes. I mean, these, these things are these things become at a certain point extremely cheap to buy and really expensive to run. And I think Jaguars, uh, particularly in this country, you know, if you suggest if I suggest to any of my friends getting a twenty-year-old Jaguar, they'd, they'd all sort of cringe, <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> right. Say you've yes. got to be kidding. <laughs> right. You mentioned uh, um, in our exchange of emails in the last uh, week yes. or so. That there's a family connection too. That your family, I think, I think you mentioned your father um, had um, a Jag, and and did, do you currently own one, or have you owned them through the years? And and what's that part of the legacy about for you? 
Oh, um, well, uh, no, my, my, my dad has never had one. Oh. Um, uh, uh, and also, I have driven a few, but I've never, I've never been brave enough, foolhardy enough to actually own one. And it's really, I don't have the... Um, I don't have a nice wide garage with lots of tools in it. Yes. And uh, that's kind of, um, you know, it's going to be uh, uh, temperature controlled enough so that the leather isn't going to start rotting and the uh, the wooden dashboard isn't going to fall off and all the rest of it. But, uh, you know, I mean, I've driven quite a few. My favorite is probably the XJ6. I, yes. I, I hope that means something to you. Yes. Um, yeah, sure. You know, the, the original XJ6, I think, is the it's just a an amazing pinnacle of what Jaguar did because it was uh, such an extraordinary uh, compromise between the handling of the car and the, and the sort of ride comfort. It, it's amazing how they did it. And they didn't have all the resources of Mercedes-Benz or, or, or GM. You know, they, they, were, they were engineering it on a shoestring. But they, they produced a, you know, a world-beating car, or at least a world-beating design in 1968. It really was something quite special. Um, in typical British fashion, they they weren't always able to make them very well. Yes. Uh, but the you know the actual design of the car uh, w- was fantastic, and I, I just love driving old XJ6s. They they are they are something else really, and I, I think at the time they were like nothing else, and now they they continue to feel like that. You know, it's um it, it's hard to express if you haven't if you haven't driven one, but there's there's a very um they're very soothing. And they make you feel very proud. I think the reference, <laughs> I th- yes, I think the reference I must have um, seen in the exchange of emails might have been from uh, the, the public relations guy that I've also communicated with. Communicated with. Maybe he mentioned. Yes. So my bad that um, maybe. Oh was, no! Don't worry. His his no, his his, worry. his father or family member had one. So apologies for that. <laughs> um, what I what I'd like to, since you mentioned earlier about the XKE and. You can be succinct, and, and um, as you mentioned in, in a chapter, you knew that you weren't going to be able to to cover all of the history, and, and and purposely you didn't do that. But I can remember growing up in Northern California when a family friend finally um, opened up the garage door one day, and there was a, an XKE sitting there. And like everybody else, I was I was uh, just taken aback by this vehicle, and we all know that. Every so often, whether it's the Times of London or it's the New York Times here in the States or Car and Driver mm-hmm. or other publications will do, once again, the most beautiful car ever made list. And without a doubt, it's usually <laughs> the XKE. XKE. Yep. So um, could you give us a, your opinion about the XKE as succinctly as you want to or in any way you wish? It's, 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 well, it's an iconic car, of course. You know, I'd, I'd love to. I mean, I mean it is a... It is a a, a really quite a unique combination of uh, a racing racing car principles in 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 the way it was designed was not like other Jaguar sports cars up to that time. Um, uh, it, it had this sort of um, it was de- designed along um, aerodynamic principles and it had a sort of monocoque main body and so on. Um, uh, fantastic ind- independent rear suspension. So technically, it was very very advanced. But it drew from the cars that had won the Le Mans 24 Hours race in the in the late 50s, the D-Type. It was really intended to be a D-Type that, that you could drive on the road. Yes. Uh, but added to that, really, was this, this fantastic ability that William Lyons had just to sort of put the finishing touches on it. You know, you look at, you look at the sort of um, the bumpers, the chrome wire wheels, the fed-in headlights, uh, the... 
the sort of polished uh, aluminium turn dashboard in, in the early ones, they were all little things that he knew when you got that car, they were going to be the, the little touches that not only, you know, made you feel amazing, but when other people saw it, it would also push those buttons. So um, he, he made sure that it wasn't only about pure science. It was also about desirability. And that was his extraordinary uh, skill uh, as, a, as a car company boss. I mean, he, he was the Jaguar designer, even though he was the company founder, chairman, you know, boss, yes. guy in charge of the lot. He, he, had the, he had the final say, but he had an amazing ability to design things that people would just have to have. You know, and I think Frank Sinatra even said, you know, I want that car and I want it now. <laughs> I mean, that's... That, he probably <laughs> that, got it, that too. Just, <laughs> that, that, just, that just sums it up. So sure. he, this, to me, I think that's where the sort of... Um, uh, the, the, the stardust is in, in somewhere between that um, engineering purity of the race car and the, uh, you know, the showroom appeal, really, of, of the vehicle itself. It looks amazing yes. and it looks amazing even when it's just standing still um so you know that was that was that was really where it was and of course you couldn't really produce a car like that now you know would um none of the of the proportions would would be up to meeting um pedestrian impact standards and housing the airbags where would they go and all the rest of it so it was from i think it was from a period where you know the exuberance of the of the design was just allowed to flow and you weren't held back by rules, you know, and laws and uh, requirements for things. So uh, it was probably at the at the absolute pinnacle of where you could just design a car to look sensational, and it was allowed to be on the road. Yes. I recall back in the 60s, and a little bit of Jaguar stardust in me came from die-cast cars and putting together uh-huh. a a uh, XKE in red with all the chrome bits. And I remember yeah. that model. I made lots of them. And, but that Jaguar is the one I remember, that XKE. A lot of stardust right. there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Was, was, that a mo- was, that a, was that a monogram kit or something like Probably, that? Probably, yeah. Most yeah. likely. Yeah. Um, you yeah. mentioned, um, Giles, about the uh, SUV and um, having written uh, and have the chance to drive a couple of the high-end uh, SUVs where people of the who are passionate about, let's say it's a Bentley or it's a Rolls-Royce or it's a Jag, and they say, oh, my gosh, that, those guys too, oh, is, is, is there any sacredness? And is this, you know, that everybody's got an, why didn't these, why did these guys do it too? Oh, my gosh. So are, if, if you care to share your opinion, um, what yeah. do you think about Jag, Jaguar having an SUV? Um, in, in your thoughts well we we all have to we all have to say it's the way of the world don't yes. we? and when I, th- I think when we look at something like the lamborghini urus and i saw <laughs> one in a car park the other oh, day my gosh. and yeah. I, I stood and looked at it and i thought what 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 is happening here you know this is this is one thing trying to be another uh, it's it's not a thing of beauty um it has capabilities that people don't really want but yet they've got them yes um there's such a such a a sort of degree of pointlessness to these enormous suvs and then you know let's flip it around and say well you know 
Porsche Cayenne is the is the game changer. Yes. And I think once once Porsche had brought that car out and they made a fortune from it, you know, I mean, it's the galling thing for people who love classic cars is that all the money comes from selling the Cayenne. Right, right. <laughs> and, that, and that then, you know, that allows the 911 to live. <laughs> so, you know, you, you kind of, um, with, with those sort of economics, I suppose, in a way, they had to, they had to join this trend with the F-Pace. Because because they're in the same the same group as Land Rover, they were able to sort of share um, architectures and technology. So you know there was a there was a shortcut to doing it, and and in fact even in my book, uh, the the Jaguar chief of design Ian Callum, you know he was very very resistant to Jaguar producing that sort of car because I think he felt it was up to him to uphold the traditions of, of William Lyons and the great days of the 50s and 60s, you know, all the cars we've been discussing. And um, he held out as long as he could <laughs> right, right, <laughs> before, sure. doing, before doing the, uh, you know, the F-Pace, which, you know, is, 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 is as mad as everything else of that type. But I think when you get to the, something like the I-Pace, which is their electric car, now I don't know if you if you if you've driven one of those or know it very well, no, but that that actually does it does start to have a bit of um, its own Jaguar character. It's not really a, a kind of big off road um, high riding vehicle. It's got it's got really fascinating uh, design to it because a lot of, a lot of the uh, the benefits of not combustion engine up the front have dictated the aerodynamics and the and the the, the styling and the the way it all holds together so uh i think he was able to produce something very special there and you know i i, I think i think bearing in mind that the fantastic um head start that tesla has had on uh, its rivals that jaguar did did come up with something that would turn heads towards them you yes. know in the face of the model s uh so uh, you know I, I i kind of think it's just been rescued from the jaws of uh, awfulness <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that am wonderful. i allowed to say that I mean, absolutely you know, that was a beautifully beautifully said thank you <laughs> uh, I, I i do i do admire the i-pace and i i do think they have something there that others don't have and so and of course it, it does it does it caps the hundred years history so interestingly for me because you know i've worked my way through all these uh vehicles of the 30s and then the motorsport stuff and so on so it is a uh, you know as, as you very well know james it's a very it's a very different motoring world today even to what it was 20 years ago um, absolutely and we're, we're, we're all sort of you know trying to adjust our expectations and um uh, you know not go on about the old days too much <laughs> <laughs> sure uh, can you tell us about the um in the racing nowadays with jaguar and their formula e series is that that's pushing the electric i-pace right i mean they get to learn about the technology on the racetrack yeah and i i think i think they had a they had a dalliance with formula one um really about 20 years ago and it was a bit of a disaster for jaguar when they did that i think it was ford um linking them up with Jackie Stewart and, you know, the, the sort of forward ways of doing things. It didn't really work out too well. So I, I think the, I think that the uh, Formula E has given them a, a good sort of synergy uh, with, you know, continuing a, a sort of motorsport tradition, but also linking that to where they've inevitably, 
you know, got to go with the I-PACE. So I think that's actually something that Jackie are quite lucky to have, really. Um, I mean, does, does Formula E make a big impact in the U.S.? How do people view it? I don't think they view it. No, I don't think it's any no, impact. Minimal. My guess. I don't. Most people probably don't know what Formula E is, but it's like a Formula One car with uh, with electric yeah. motors. Sure. In fact, they don't have pit stop. Well, the pit stop is you switch cars, right? They don't have yeah, time to right. swap batteries or yeah. charge them. They just hop in a new car. Yeah. So, I mean, so that is actually quite unfortunate because you know Jaguar has always been a U.S. facing brand. You know, so much of its of its success is is derived from West Coast customers and, you know, has been since the 1940s. So it, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a pity that, that they can't capitalize on it in a way because, um, you know, I, I, I believe Jaguars have, have always been well regarded in the U S and in fact, you know, a thread throughout the whole book that I've done is really, um, how they, they always tried to, uh, you know, they always regarded the U.S. market as so important. And, you know, it's it saved the company entirely in the 1980s. Um, and they were just about able to improve their quality and build sales up again. So, uh, you know, Jaguar owes a, owes a lot to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's certainly a lot of... Uh a lot of exposure. There's a lot of Jaguars here, on the, at least on the West Coast, for sure. Uh, we, I'd be remiss if we didn't have um, – we are having fun, but th- there was one situation I think maybe 10 or 15 years ago now, or it could have been longer, where a commercial ran uh, in on American television in which we would say jag- Jaguar, and maybe yes. in the U.K. Yes. you said Jaguar, or however, I, I yes. can't even say the word – do you remember? No, I must apologize for my terrible English. <laughs> no, no, no. It's probably the reverse of that. But do you remember that situation? And did it cause any kind of? Um, we had a little fun with it here in the states. I mean, I'm speaking in just in general terms, and it was, people thought it was pretentious and whatnot. But it might have been exactly the proper way of pronouncing the name of the car. Um, give us yeah. your insight on that. Well, I mean, I'm not really, I'm not really aware yeah. too much of, of the scandal surrounding that. But yeah. I mean, I, I suppose that they, you know, the U.S. market is is one of the biggest, and most important in the world, and you make a lot of excellent vehicles there. Yes, um, and it's very competitive for anyone who wants to market a premium brand. So, I suppose Jaguar has to. Um, Jaguar, sorry. It's, a, it's to, all good. It's all good. You know. <laughs> Any way you want to say it is fine. You know, I, I suppose they've, they've got to seek to differentiate themselves. And they, you know, 10 to 15, 15, 20 years ago, just perhaps they had become a little bit me too in terms of, you know, other, other vehicles, not, yes. as, not as distinctive as they once were. And, you know, as you know, the, the Jaguar S-Type and the Lincoln LS and the Ford Thunderbird were all the same car underneath. Yes. So there was a shared architecture there, and perhaps, um, perhaps if you dilute the, you know, the the uniqueness, even in some of the unseen stuff, you you, you end up with a bit of homogeneity, which you know eats away at what's different about uh, a Jaguar. Um, because as I said, you know, uh, you make lots of great cars in the states, sure. and um, so so anything else has to be extra good, otherwise it's not going to get. Considered. Well, I, I think that's a pretty that's good ex- view, they, anyway. they, they The commercial came out that way, and it, it certainly attracted a lot of attention. So that's a good explanation as any. Um, so appreciate that. Then another area I wanted to cover is, is back into the journalistic area. And um, as an author of so many books, um, 
this book is not yet available, but uh, I'm assuming it'll be available in September, I believe, I thought, um, or maybe early October on Amazon and all the other out, um, outlets that, where people are buying books these days. Do you have a book on the yes. horizon that you can share? Is there something else that you're going to be walking around, uh, pulling your hair out, or drinking lots of caffeine <laughs> in the, in the well, future? Desperation. <laughs> yeah, and desperate, yeah. Well, you, you very sweetly gave me an opportunity. You didn't realize it a few minutes ago in the conversation when yeah. we were talking about model cars, because uh, my Jaguar book comes out on the 28th of September. Yes. And on the 1st of October... Uh, I've got another book uh, just about to be published, which is about, it, it's called Britain's Toy Car Wars. Oh, yes. And I did see a reference to that, yes. It's about the battle between three brands of toy cars. Uh, they were Dinky, Corgi, and Matchbox. And they, for about 50 years, these three uh, companies were locked in a bitter competition to get pocket money out of kids. <laughs> I love that. Well, that, so, that's, so, that's, go ahead, so please. My, my, my book is, is really about the stories of the companies and also how, um, uh, well, I hope, I hope you, you feel the same as me. When I was a kid, I, was, I loved my toy cars. I really did. Sure. And, you know, you, you'd have something in your hand made by one of these brands, and you'd never for one minute think how it got there. It, it was a present, or you, you bought it at the toy shop or at the department store or whatever. And so I, my, my book really gets into... Um, you know, really all the processes they use because they, they weren't able to actually use any computer data to shrink the models. They had to um, they had to sort of copy the real thing and then shrink it, you know, using photographs, drawings, clay models, uh, pantographs, and so on. So um, I, uh, my, my book is really about all the background to it so that um, it's not a collector's guide. It hasn't got long lists in it, but it, it hopefully gets into what these companies were about. They, they were in three different places in the UK. So they were, you know, they fought this geographical battle as well. And every toy car you've ever had as a kid was always built by somebody else's mum or sister or grandma because only women had these, you know, delicate fingers <laughs> and de dexterity to actually assemble them because they could never, they could never really tool up, you know, with a with a robotized factory. So you, you'd have women sitting in lines for miles with a sort of conveyor belt going, going in front of them, and they would they would literally build your toy cars for you, you know, oh whilst gosh. no doubt talking about what was on TV the night before, not wow. even remotely interested in what the subject was. Now I so, um, I can't wait to read. That's yeah. that sounds so fascinating. Thank <laughs> the, you for the that. answer to the question you never had. That's right. Thank you. It, it well, I mean, I, you know, it's a, it's something I don't think anyone else has done, and I, you know, it, it no. really has brought brought sure. out the inner geek in me because um, I've got some great interviews, and I've interviewed two or three of the uh, people who distributed this stuff in the states. Uh, they, they were usually the companies were based around New Jersey, which is where I guess a lot of importers are. I mean, is that right? I'm, I don't know. Well, I was born in New Jersey, and I don't know the answer East to the Coast, question. So probably. about East Coast somewhere, for sure. New Jersey uh, sounds yes. as good as any place. Yeah. <laughs> um. well, well, I had a, I have had a lovely phone interview with uh, a guy called Tony Fleischman, whose father was the, the sort of corgi importer for the whole of the U.S. Oh, and, you know, he was just, um, he really, um, he really uh, brought it alive for me. And, and, you know, the one thing he wasn't able to answer, though, that I've, I've never really understood myself is why there weren't really uh, U.S. companies that made these die-cast models. It, it seemed that, you know, America never really came up with a rival to um, Matchbox and, until Hot Wheels came along. So, you know, 
but they'd already been going for sort of decades and decades before. So they, they had the U.S. market to themselves for a long time. Um, yes, that's that's a really interesting question. Um, in, in addition to Amazon, which we all know is the the mothership uh, of the book, the, book, the book world, for good or for bad, you know, it's the monolith. It's whatever you want to call yes, it. Yes, um, yes, indeed. Some some of the authors also have um, independent websites uh, or work with smaller companies where their books are available. Is that your case as well? Do you have another uh, place where people um, can go? No, I- I actually don't. No, no. Other people very, very kindly retail my stuff for me, which is which is good. The, the, if you go to my website, which is just called gileschapman.com, yes, you've just got a little uh, CV of me. Um, so uh, no, m- most of my books uh, have to be got from someone else's shop. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess good. Well, what a, what a fascinating. It's almost forty minutes now. Um, not that it matters. We could spend the rest of the day, but. We won't keep you any longer, but we want to reiterate that um, the new, well, two books now, uh, uh, the 100th anniversary of um, Jaguar by your abacus that you've <laughs> maintained, and not by Jag's 100 years, but by your 100 years, which is great. Hundreds of pictures. And hundreds of pictures. Very and good and pictures. then a week later or so, if I did the thinking about it correctly, um, on the wonderful history of, of the... Um, Diecast cars, Matchbox. I didn't, truthfully, I didn't. I didn't know the other companies, but I certainly know Matchbox, Matchbox, and had many of them. And uh, that sounds equally fascinating. So, I want to thank you for being our guest today, Giles. It's been a well, great, very, great very time. Very kind of you. I mean, I, I feel nice and relaxed. I can talk about these things. Last year, writing these two things in parallel, I was in the most foul mood from I think <laughs> the moment I started until I. I managed to send the manuscripts into the publisher. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine <laughs> you being I in a foul mood. So much last year, I, my my hand almost fell off. You know, it was just uh, <laughs> it was just a, a heavy writing year, twenty uh, twenty. <laughs> yes. Well, congratulations, and and so, we want to um, really reiterate. Um, uh, thank you again for being our guest on on the Weekly Driver podcast. We want to um, encourage people to go back. We have almost two hundred episodes now archived on theweeklydriver.com and I think Giles uh, our episode with you will be um, broadcast in a few days and so we'll we'll be in touch that way with a link and it was just a great pleasure to chat with you thank you well it's tremendous I really love the way the way you do stuff I think you really have got the enthusiast um, at heart there and um, you know I'm really grateful for the opportunity thanks so much thank you sir cheers thank you Giles <laughs>